This Rhythm and News podcast is brought to you by the Port of Seattle. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity and Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.ctacshops.com. While we move from October into November and December, it is important to recognize that every month, especially the holiday months of November and December, are times not only to spend with family, but to empower you, uh, your life, and can take control of your health. And we're this morning to talk about breast cancer, health, and wellness as Bridges Hempstead, founder and president of Sierra Sisters uh, Breast Cancer Support and Advocacy Group right here in Seattle. Good morning, Bridget. Good morning, Chris. Thank you for um, giving the opportunity to talk about such a serious health issue that's happening in our community. Right. And, Bridget, uh, first of all, it's good to have you on. And uh, October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and while the bright lights are no longer placing a spotlight on breast cancer right now that we've moved into November, um, the fact remains that the battle against cancer and the quest for healthy living is something that directly relates to uh, lifestyle and is a 24-hour, 365-day commitment that we all must um, take heed to. That's very true. And here's another issue I'm going to throw in there, is that while we're seeking uh, optimal health care, we're also facing racism that stops us from getting the best health care for the black community. Right. And, And, Bridget, let's talk about that a little bit, because... You know, certainly when it comes to personal, uh, your health care, personal advocacy is very important uh, for people. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, we go into the doctor's office and we will, you know, if, you know, we go in there looking for um, not necessarily the, the best information, but looking not to have negative information about our health. And, you know, and, and a lot of times, you know, if a doctor says something that kind of discourages from doing certain things, say you don't have to worry about this or you don't need to take that, this test or that exam right now, you can, you're not the right age or you're not at high risk, things of those nature, uh, those nature. Um, you know, those are some of the things that have led to some of the health disparities that we have uh, in our community. When you look down to the list, you know, African-Americans are at, uh, disproportionately impacted by so many different uh, health issues and quite frankly, um, a lot of times when they are um, diagnosed, it's a late-term diagnosis where there's very few options. There is, and unfortunately, you would think in the past 30 years that there would be a change, but there's no change in our outcomes, and there are better treatment options available. However, if you're not diagnosed at the time that you're presenting any kind of symptoms and your doctor tells you 
don't worry about it. It's not really affecting your community. Or something as silly as stop eating bananas and nuts and you'll be okay. You know, mm-hmm. that's a very offensive uh, statement, and that just happened to a, a young woman who came to me, came to Sierra Sisters, had been presenting symptoms for a year and had been told to stop eating bananas and nuts. I, you know, that implication is, you know, as, as the jokes and the, and the insinuous ways that they depict black people eating bananas, you might as well say, we're going to eat some water or stop eating watermelon and chicken. So mm. instead of dealing with the real issue that here's a lot, what is it? Now, when our white counterparts come in, they give them the full range. They do the biopsy. They do the blood work. They do the scans. And that there is no question asked. But when it comes down to our own black community, this is what we're told. And so, you know, second opinions are an incredible thing to do. If you're not trusting your doctor, or maybe you don't understand, you don't need to trust that doctor, still go get another opinion. It could possibly right. save your life. Right. And, and Bridget, let's talk a little bit about breast cancer screenings and mammograms and black women. You know, uh, the, you know, the CDC and everybody else has some guidelines that they put out there for when women should start getting uh, mammograms and uh, cancer screenings. And But um, as it relates to uh, black women, you know, at what age should black women, in your opinion, start screening uh, and mammograms? In my opinion, for the last 27 years, we've been encouraging black women to get a baseline mammogram at the age of 35 and every year up to the age of 40. Um, Prior to to you getting a breast screening, you should do self-breast exams once a month after your cycle. If you don't have a cycle, do it on a pay period. But you need to understand how your body works. And if there are changes that happen, if you are very familiar with your body, then you'll be able to present that to your physician. Right. And, and Bridget, are these timelines, are, um, are these basic timelines for all women, or are they more specific to black women? And if they are more specific, you know, how, what does that skew look like? And, I, you know, it sounds like it might be, a, uh, you know, five to ten years earlier that you're actually – um, encourage them to get screened? Uh, yes. So my own um, situation back in 1996, I was diagnosed on my 35th birthday. And one of our medical advisors, Dr. Patricia Dawson, who is now uh, deceased, um, and was our, one of our medical advisors, um, even when the guidelines changed, she says, Bridget, I would not advise you to change that as you're speaking about um, guidelines and when to get tested. And so we did not, based off of personal experience and expertise from an incredible surgeon, Dr. Patricia Dawson. Now, we know that the guidelines, American Cancer Society guidelines, are um, suggesting screenings between 40 and 50 years old. Some some institutions are encouraging women to get screenings at the age of 60. 
Well, here's the issue. In the black community, we're having women that are being diagnosed at a much younger age. And so as they push back these guidelines, they have not included the black community and the crisis that we're facing of younger women being diagnosed or even under the age of 35 in their 20s. And so these are young women, young mothers that are facing this incredible health crisis and then they have no recourse because they're being turned away from when they are presenting symptoms. The other guideline I would suggest is if your mother, your sister, your grandmother was diagnosed, say for instance, your your um, mother was diagnosed at the age of 35. I was diagnosed at 35 and I have three daughters. They have to get screened 10 years prior to that, to my diagnosis, because now it's in the bloodline. Mm, right. And, Bridget, how important is it for two things, us as a community to be there uh, to support people um, who are going through um, and battling, having their own battles with uh, cancer, whether it's breast cancer or any other of cancer, that support from family and friends, but also how important is it for us to have these conversations as a family and letting other people know, um, you know, what our health situations or status is so that they're aware that either A, in their direct bloodline, there could be some, uh, there are some instances of cancer or there aren't some instances of cancer or other health issues or disparities. It's very important because if you don't know the history of your family and something comes up, you won't know where that came from. There is testing called genetic testing, and they they will go through your family history of health care issues to find out if you're at risk for certain um, health care conditions that may face you. And the importance of that is you may be able to do a preventative measure to counteract you uh, ever being diagnosed. So if you don't know the story, you won't know what the conclusion is because you won't know what to do. Right. We're in a different time. Back in the, I say back in the old days, where family members says, we're not going to talk about what happened. We're not going to have talk about what happened to Big Mama. You know, she just had the big C. Well, what kind of big C did she have? And what did the big C really mean? We didn't want to talk about it. Or they talk about the woman's disease. And so now times are different and we're having more open conversations. You need to be very transparent with your family and your community so that you will understand what you need to do to take the measures to change the narrative for your outcome of your health care. Right. And, and Bridget, uh, we, we definitely could have this conversation for a whole hour, a couple hours, because you're just so knowledgeable um, with as it relates to all this with, um, you know, empowering people and taking control of their health, because you've been in this for quite some time. Um, and I would encourage people, if you know, to you know, contact your organization, do some research about your organization, Sierra Sisters, uh, which is spelled Sierra with a C, um, and get more information. But with that being said, in, in the brief time that we have, um, can you talk about the impact that 
you pushing for um, exams when you did has impacted uh, your life? Because one of the issues that we have as a community is late-stage diagnosis. Um, but certainly you're an example of somebody um, who was being able to get diagnosed early enough where, you know, we're still here today having this conversation, I believe, close to 30 years after you were initially diagnosed. Absolutely. So the importance of really having the knowledge, knowing how to navigate, and if you don't, the importance of of having someone to support you in that, it is incredibly life-saving. Um, we must make sure that we know how to advocate, how to talk to the doctors, um, and you are empowered to fire that doctor because if you are presenting any kind of symptoms um, on, on the onset of a first diagnosis, it can make a difference. I also want to address those who are metastatic, which means they are late stage or stage four. However, the times have changed in treatment options. Individuals with stage four cancer can live a, a normal life. It'll be a new normal. However, there are incredible treatment options available there. And I speak this from my own experience because 18 years later, I had a reoccurrence, and it was metastatic. That was nine years ago. The very first doctor that I saw um, being metastatic told me I would not live a year. And she refused to give me an option of going into a clinical trial. So I did fire that doctor, and I had, had an incredible oncologist, and this is nine years later. Wow. Wow. And, and Bridget, I just, I, I, I want you to, to reiterate um, the phrase that I you say, whereas you have the ability to fire your doctor. Your doctor works for you. <laughs> and That's right. That, I, I, the I never, yeah, I haven't heard anybody make that statement, uh, I don't believe, ever, where they said you have the right to fire your doctor. So I just want you to reiterate that before we conclude this um, uh, interview this morning to make sure that everybody heard that. You will have the right to fire the, your doctor. You're the captain of your team, your body. All right. Well, Bridget, I want to add, allow you the opportunity to give out information to the Sierra Sisters, um, your guys' uh, your uh, web address, uh, phone number, and also I know you guys have monthly meetings, whatever that meeting time is. Yes. Um, our meetings are the fourth Thursday of the month. We just had our last meeting for the year. We will resume in January. Our website is www.crsisters.org. That's spelled C-I-E-R-R-A-S-I-S-T-E-R-S.org. And you can reach us at 206-579-4521. You're not in this alone. We will stand with you. All right. Well, Bridget, I want to thank you for joining us on today's show, and I want to just thank you for all the work that you and your um, colleagues with Sierra Sisters um, have been doing. You guys are a volunteer, a grassroots volunteer organization, and I said this before. I'll say it again, and I'll stand on it um, for the rest of my days that, you know, Sierra Sisters, I believe, has done more for breast cancer um, patients, mm -hmm. 
um, survivors, um, anything else than any of these other organizations uh, across this area, uh, including some that have the, the big names and the big resources. I don't believe they've come close to having the impact that you guys have had with limited resources and just a handful of volunteers. Thank you, Chris. We're loving our community back to health the best way that we can. All right. You have a great weekend, uh, and thanks for joining us on the show.